2: Hey guys, on today's pod I brought on Matthew Stocko, as usual, as well as joining us today was Anthony Doyle of Raptors Republic. Anthony's one of the best guys when it comes to talking Raptors and really has great insight on the team. We broke down basically every aspect of the DeMar Derozan and Kawhi Leonard trade, talked about where it leaves the Raptors moving forward, where their place is in the East, and also DeMar's legacy. I thought it was a really great talk. Hope you guys enjoy Since the Kawhi Leonard trade, I just wanted to get your guys' overall opinions on it. First, Anthony, I'll start with you. What's your overall takeaway from the Kawhi Leonard trade?
3: I w- it was a great move for the Raptors. It was uh, This was the player they've kind of been missing in the last couple playoff runs. Even with all the injury stuff, they didn't give up OG Ananobi. They didn't give up Pascal Siakam. The, they protected the one pick that they gave up, at it's a 2019 pick. Masai Ujiri kind of hit all the boxes for not giving up too much long-term while also getting back the best player in the trade. And I I think it was clearly a win for the Raptors.
2: Yeah, I'm right with you. I was amazed that, to be frank, OG or Pascal wasn't in the deal. Me and Matt talked last week, and we talked about the quiet Leonard possibility, and I thought it was less than a 50-50 shot. And I said, you know, I thought that at least OG would in it and maybe pascal too and the fact that he gave up neither of those is to be honest pretty amazing to me matt what do you think
4: yeah and uh, it, it's funny because i was the one on uh last week's podcast worried that they were going to give up too much and you know i think i was i said that's the reason why i wouldn't do the trade however the result that we got was pretty outstanding. And uh, I mean, especially after having a chance to digest it, uh, I definitely have to agree with both you, Anthony and you Mike that, I mean, it's nothing but a win for the Raptors. And, uh, you know, there's been some drama and questioning around how it was handled on the the DeMar DeRozan end. And, you know, that might've given, you know, the Raptors a little bit of less, less than swell PR than they maybe deserved. But um, I mean, I don't, I don't know that like, you know, now that we've had a chance to have it sink in, that, wow, just the amount, uh, the, the little amount that we had to give up was just outstanding.
2: Right, and it feels, you know, we got the superstar in the deal, and usually when that happens, it feels like the team getting the superstar has to kind of give in around the margins. But when you look at kind of the little things of this trade, it's clear that Masai won every little thing when it comes down to the protections on the pick and even getting $5 million back I think maybe that's where I was most shocked that Masai kind of won all the little things of this deal.
3: Yeah. And uh, this is the kind of trade where when I look at it and when you take into account that they were going to be rebuilding in two years anyways, because of the Serge Ibaka contract and Kyle Lowry contract in their ages. And then you add in that's DeMar DeRozan's opt out year. That was kind of set in stone as t- the summer of 2020 was going to be a Raptors rebuild. So I came out of this trade thinking, even if Kawhi Leonard's health is way worse than we think, or he really doesn't want to play in Toronto, and he never plays a game in the Raptors jersey, this is still an okay trade because it dumped some, like the they you took back less salary long term than you sent out, and you took a risk on a rebuild that was coming anyways. So, like the only thing you really lose is. Maybe two competitive years, but when you look at the ages of the Raptors players, were they really going to be that competitive next year anyways?
2: Right. I think you basically traded two years of DeMar for one year of Kawhi, and I think that's a trade that you make when you're kind of a team that's been stagnant and one step away. I think that's a trade you make every time. I think, like you said, if Kawhi walks after this year, I don't, I don't necessarily or I don't think at all that the trade was a loss for Toronto. I think that they made this trade very well, knowing that Kawhi might not resign. And I think they'll be okay with it if he doesn't. I
4: think, I think too, that, you know, the upside, right. The potential, the potential upside of this is that he does stay. And that then the future and Anthony was kind of, and Anthony did a great job of explaining going towards the rebuild, right. Well, then maybe perhaps the rebuild, you know, was rethought and instead rebuilt around Kawhi Leonard, which I think is a great piece to be able to woo in future free agents or woo in uh, other top uh, role players who can really support this, this team. And I think the other piece of the trade that I really liked is uh, for me with Nick nurse as the coach, uh, I was a little concerned about how Pirtle was actually going to fit in with this team and how he was going to operate. And I think that, uh, you know, him not being on this roster anymore kind of kind of helps out the team overall from from a more total team makeup as well.
2: Yeah, I, I agree with that. As far as it's not Pirtle specifically, I just think we needed more wings and less bigs. And I think that when you're swapping a big for a wing, even if you lose a little talent around the margins, I think that's a win as far as the Raptors are concerned.
3: I think they might miss Purtle a little bit just because they don't really have the pure centers and Ibaka doesn't want to bang full time. And, you know, there's matchups where you can't play Jonas. And the way the roster currently sits, there's going to be some matchups that are a little bit weird because either you're playing Ibaka more minutes than he can or you're putting Jonas in a situation where he's going to get exposed. And Purtle fit nicely in that margin for the Raptors. But at the same time, he was easily the most expendable of the young guys, which I love Jakub Pertl. But I think of the young group, he was the guy you could move without worrying about too much.
2: And uh, I hope he does great in San Antonio. Yeah, me too. I think he will. I think he kind of fits what they want to do in a lot of ways. Where he's, I don't, I don't think he has the ceiling to ever be, you know, a top ten in his position. But I think he has. The ability to be about a league average starter, which, you know, is nothing to take for granted. He's a pretty good player. But I think just overall, I think Serge, in my opinion at least, is more, is just as well suited to play center at this point in his career than he is power forward. So I was okay swapping out a center for a more wing who is kind of, you know, more perimeter oriented, which it sounds like Nick Nurse wants to play next season.
4: This trade really was A win-win for both teams because if you do take a look at it from the Spurs perspective as well DeMar DeRozan and Jakob Perl kind of do fit in with really with what Pop is trying to do and trying to build there too and just the way he coaches and the way he builds offenses so uh, you know I I mean in terms of fair trades like 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 it really does work out and I you know I, I definitely agree with the Anthony on the bigs like we could be a little small at times but We've seen the Golden State Warriors win small, um, so I mean it can happen. And uh, I love, I'm right now talking about uh, talking about what our potential death lineup could be, and and uh, it, it is exciting. We've definitely gotten a lot more three point shooting, um, have improved drastically defensively, which is I think a, something that I'm very excited for because uh, Danny Green is also an underrated defender as well.
3: Danny Green's a fantastic player. I mean, he's he's not a star but he's a a veteran who's got championship experience. He's a great locker room guy by all accounts. Um, He rates out as one of the five, I, I think every year for the last six years, he rates out in the top five defensively among shooting guards, and he can shoot threes. And With the other guys the Raptors have around him, he won't have to do much more than that. The Raptors have a... A lot of point guards who can penetrate and distribute. Kawhi Leonard is way better than than people remember. And so, and Jonas is a good passer who's going to have a lot more space than he's ever had before. So if Danny Green can work hard on the defensive end and knock down some open threes, that's all they need from him, as well as, you know, being a familiar face for Kawhi to help familiarize him and hopefully help keep him past this season.
2: Right, yeah, I totally agree, I think. Danny Green is someone who can be really good for your team as long as you know you, you know what you're getting with Danny Green. He's a great defensive player, he's a good shooter at this point. He used to be, you know, a little bit more elite. He's regressed a little bit as he's gotten older here in shooting, but I think being surrounded by some more offensive talent than he has been the past couple of years, or at least last year particularly, I think that it could really be a change of scenery that's good for Danny Green and it will be interesting to see. What do you guys think? Do you guys think that he is our starting shooting guard come the season? I personally think that it's probably going to be him, Kawhi OG is the three, and then Lowry and Balanchunas. What do you guys think?
4: Yeah, yeah. I was go- I was going to say I definitely a- a- agree with you, Mike. I feel like that's the natural starting lineup, um, barring any other trades that might that might happen for another starter. However, that could. I mean, I don't know how Masai would pull that, but who knows? I mean, he's already pulled magic once, but I just think that you know, adding in two starters from a uh, NBA championship team are always good, and and it just really adds a lot of defense and a lot of spacing, especially with someone like Jonas on the floor. That I think that just that it just becomes natural that way, especially if you are trying to you know woo Kawhi to stay. Uh, again, that familiarity that Anthony was talking about, I think, is very important in this case.
3: I. I think Serge Ibaka probably stays at the starting lineup because they, you know, he's somebody who they have to keep happy. They have to keep him in a role where he's comfortable. And he, he he's tends to stiffen up a little bit. So getting him out there to start early in the game can help loosen him up. But I, I think what you'll see happen is Serge Ibaka will start and then he'll come out of the game early, like four or five minutes into the first half, And then he'll come back with the bench guys to start the second as the bench center. And I think that way you aren't sort of giving him, you aren't saying to him, okay, we're taking away your starting role. You're still letting him have that, but you're using him as a bench guy. And then you can, towards the end of the first uh, quarter, you can have, you can run that lineup, the small lineup with green and OG and Kawhi. Um, And I think OG probably comes off the bench.
2: Okay. So you think it's, Green and Abaka as the two starters, then, uh, surrounding Kawhi, Lowry, and Valentinus.
3: Yeah, that's what I suspect it's going to be at least to start the season. If Abaka has a slow start to the season, that might change, but I I really think OG's going to be the guy who ends up coming off the bench, also because that gives that bench unit another big defender on the wing, and OG can fit in uh, with his length. He could, to help be one of the like shift over to the four with some of the bench lineups
2: the only the only issue I see with that in regards is I we haven't seen OG really create his own offense to this point and I wonder perhaps that's kind of a step he needs to take in growth but I wonder how he'll handle moving to a role that's perhaps a little more volume when he's never had to deal with that at this point in his career
3: That's fair, and it's going to be an interesting development. I think that's something the Raptors wanted him to do more this year anyways, because you want him to explore that part of his game. But also, you know, if he's coming off the bench, he's going to be playing with Fred and DeLon, and both of those guys are really good creators. And there will be a lot more space in the Raptors' offense this year, because there's just so much more shooting than there was last year.
2: Yeah, that's big. And I also think, I'm writing about this currently, and I want to talk about, I think that, it wouldn't be shocking to me if Nurse tries a couple different permutations of the starting lineup throughout the year and kind of throws a couple different things on the wall and kind of see what sticks.
4: That's what I'm most excited for, to be honest, is that Nick Nurse has already spoken about how he's going to you know, be more creative with lineups and try out different things and really experiment to see which what is best. And I feel like Nick Nurse is not one of those guys that's going to be afraid to change the lineup quickly if something doesn't happen, and uh, the hot, the more hockey rotations of uh, of the past are with the Raptors are more more or less gone. So I think for me, that's that's super exciting, and and, and I mean when you have more shooters and more versatile players that can play a lot of different positions, uh, then you can really go with the hot hand or who's playing really well in game, and uh, it, with 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 systems built around that too, uh, then all the players will still be on the same page regardless of who's out there
2: that was one of my biggest problems with casey was i didn't love the bench mob mentality as far as swapping out the five just in the fact that once you come to the playoffs playoffs are all about matchups and they're about doing different things and playing different ways and when you play that two distinct styles during the regular season it really limits your ability in the playoffs to kind of mold and adapt your game to whatever fits best. So, like you, Matt, I'm pretty excited for this year trying different things. You know, perhaps getting a big lineup where you see Kawhi at the two and things like that. Or you have a super small lineup with Pascal at the five where you switch everything. You know, I think that it's important to try different things. And I'm excited, or at least I hope, to see that this year. Yeah.
4: Oh, yeah, yeah. I was going to say that I was getting so sick of, especially in the playoffs, being like, oh, it's around the four minute mark of the first quarter. Here comes, you know, the, the whole different group of team, uh, a whole different group, right? Like, I think that becomes so predictable, and and teams
3: in the playoffs uh, last year
4: really preyed
3: on that. Well, a lot of the problem though last year for the Raptors was with, with that, and a lot of the reason you ended up with the two distinct lineups was because the transitional groups were a mess all year. You had so many pieces that fit with the lineup they were with, but didn't fit when you started to mix and match. Like you could play CJ miles and you could play DeMar DeRozan, but you couldn't play CJ miles with DeMar DeRozan because neither one of those guys is a guy who you want defending the best player on the other team. And neither one of them can play the, can really play the point guard or really play the power forward position. So you couldn't play those guys together. And we did that a lot in the playoffs and that got the Raptors in trouble. And the other one was, Serge Ibaka and Yakim Pertle just really did not play well together. And that got, that got the Raptors in some trouble in the playoffs too. So I think Siakam at the five has been brought up a lot by a lot of people. I think that's a matchup thing. I don't think that's an every night thing because you give up a lot on, in terms of rebounding and rim protection with that look. But I, the one that I think is a lot of people are talking about going small at the big positions. I think you're going to see the Raptors go small at the guard positions more often than that, because you have to remember, Fred Van Vliet and Kyle Lowry had a great year when they were on the floor together, and you're still going to see a lot of that. So that's going to come with those two and two wings and a big.
2: A couple things. Uh, first off, you made a good point on last year, we didn't really have the fit to do it. We, we also had a lot of guys who played, you know, kind of traditional positions that were inflexible. So when you had Kawhi who can really play the shooting guard or power forward in spots, you know, not obviously, long-term, as well as Danny Green, you can play the two and the three. It just kind of gives you more versatility. So not only, you know, you can put a lot of it on Casey, but a lot of it is the fit this year is better. And then your second point on Pascal, I totally agree. I think that they'll play Pascal in spots like that at the five, but I don't think that's a long-term thing, and I don't think you're going to get a steady diet of it. I think that's a a once-in-a-while kind of try-to-inject-life kind of
3: play. Yeah, I, I think you might still see the Raptors re-sign Bebe. They still have a, ro- a roster spot. He's still uh, unsigned. They have two, don't, do they not? I think they, have, I, two. I yeah, think they, they have, have two. Is it two or is it one in a two-way?
2: They have 13 guys on the roster as of now. So okay. we have two spots left. Yeah,
3: it's, I, I think bringing Bebe back makes a lot of sense. He can play that five in spots. He's a good rim protector. He was better last year than a lot of people think he was. Uh, and with Ibaka and Jonas both on the roster, I think you you could use him for the minutes they can't fill. I think one of the important things for the Raptors this year is cutting back Ibaka's minutes. Because a lot of people said he had a bad year last year. I think there's that's an overreaction. I don't think he was so much bad last year as he was asked to do more than he should be asked to do at this point in his career. I I think that's pretty fair. I think
2: he I want to say he certainly took a step back last season, but I don't think it's as exaggerated as people want to make it out to be, particularly after a playoffs where he did play poorly in the playoffs.
3: He was fantastic in the first two games against Washington, though, to be fair.
4: Yeah, he was. He was, he, he, He was so amazing and everybody was very excited, and then it it went down quick. It was it was like watching an EKG machine just go down and not come back up.
2: If <laughs> we talk about Kawhi, obviously the biggest thing, Kawhi and Danny Green both. I guess the biggest thing is defense. But what do you guys think offensively? Besides the spacing that they add, what do you think is kind of the most? What part are you most excited to see?
3: I think people are going to be shocked about how much Kawhi can do offensively. Because I actually think he's a better offensive player than DeMar DeRozan. 2016-17, the last year he was fully healthy. He ranked in the 89th percentile in the league in isolation. He was in the 93rd percentile as the pick-and-roll ball handler. You know, almost everywhere when you break down his shooting percentages, he was in, like, the 75th-plus percentile – at everything offensively. And so it's not just that he's a great shooter and a great defender. He can do everything. And that's why he was in the conversation for being the best player in the world before he got hurt. And I think people are going to be shocked because he's got that defensive reputation, but he could have stepped into DeMar's role offensively from last year and he would have been really good at that as well. I think they'll do other things with him because he create space just by being on the floor because he's a great shooter yeah i was actually watching a bunch of
4: uh uh, kawhi leonard highlights from from 2016 2017 and you know a lot of people have been you know have been saying oh he's not really good off the ball and i don't i just don't see that i mean i see tons of plays where he's moving moving off the ball creating space for himself off the ball as well and i think that you know with more with with the more spacing that the Raptors are just creating are going to create in general that we're going to see him being able to shoot to, to shoot spot up threes be able to create his own space and if and if a play does break down when it inevitably does we have somebody who can you know ru- move off the pick and roll and do some fantastic things with it you know he really he has a he has a really good first step uh, coming, coming off of screens. He also is very strong. So he's, he's able to, uh, uh bang around and bang around inside in the paint as well. I think that, um, uh, uh, he also has a really nice step back as well. So I think that, you know, Kawhi offensively is, is going to draw so much attention as well. And, 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 you know, within, w- within all the movement that's going to, that's going to be happening with the team as well. I think he'll be, I think he'll be, uh, his assist totals might actually go up over, uh, over the previous years the years as well and i mean i mean here he, here's a guy again best best player in the eastern conference perhaps uh, i mean if not top top two and he uh depending on your opinions on Giannis, right and here's a guy that's going to attract a lot of attention and i could see his 3.5 assists from uh 2016 2017 moving up to like six or seven and uh, the raptors are going to rely on him to do a lot but I think he can. Actually, I know he can handle the load.
2: Well, I'm not sure he'll necessarily improve that much as a playmaker. I think that would be nice. Certainly, I'm not totally confident on that. What I do think is he doesn't require the ball as much. So there's maybe he doesn't increase his assist that total. But if you're not holding the ball and you're getting less assist, and you're getting less assist, it's not you know as hurtful as it may otherwise be. Mm-hmm. Another thing I'm excited on offense is just. Uh, for Kyle Lowry kind of to not be the number one option anymore. Yeah, he had that with DeMar, but I think now when you have a player that draws as much gravity off the ball as Kawhi does, I think it will be exciting to see what Kyle Lowry can do in a different role.
3: One wrinkle that that nobody's really talking about that I kind of want to see the Ra- Raptors mess around with is uh, Kawhi's such a... He's a big, strong body for a wing. I'd like to see the Raptors uh, try to run some... Co- Lowry, Kawhi pick and rolls with Kawhi as the roll man because I think you could when you take what each of those players can do, um, you're gonna create space somewhere. Either they're gonna overcommit to Lowry because he can be so dangerous once he gets rolling into the lane, or they're gonna overcommit to to Kawhi and there's gonna be space freed up somewhere when you run that. And I think there's some stuff like that you could do. That's really interesting. And they did that a little bit with Damar. Casey experimented a little bit with Damar setting some screens for Kyle, and it worked. But with Damar, you didn't have the pop threat that you do with Kawhi.
2: Yeah, that's a good point. And you kind of see that with the Golden State Warriors, and an interesting thing they do out of it is they kind of run the inverse, where Curry sets a screen for Durant. I wouldn't mind to see a couple even Kawhi being the ball handler and that and having Kyle Lowry pop is kind of just a change of pace, different look, like the Warriors do all the time.
3: Yeah. I I think you'll see lots of different things done with this offense. Uh, I'm excited about Jonas Valanciunas offensively this year because him and DeMar kind of occupied a similar space offensively. Both of them love working in that five to 10 foot area where they can create their shots. And, You're going to see a lot more Jonas with four guys out. Last season, Jonas only played 74 minutes all year without DeMar DeRozan on the floor. Wow. Um, Wow. (laughs) Yeah. So he's going to have more space than he's ever had to work with. And you add to that the perimeter game that he's added himself to create space for other guys. There's just a lot to get excited about right now if you're a Raptors fan.
2: To that point, I kind of was thinking about when you said you thought that Serge would get the early pull. If I'm Nurse, I think I am pulling Valentunas early, just on the fact that I think with Jakob gone, I think that you can do a lot of kind of individual work with Jonas. Sorry, Jonas, wow. Um, One-on-one kind of with the bench unit, where you kind of let the offense run through him a little bit more. And if he's a primary option, I think that he can kind of be unleashed to another level.
4: Oh, definitely. And I mean, Nick Nurse has already said too, right, that he plans to have much more exciting things to do with Jonas Valanciunas. And I, I mean, I'm excited. I'm excited too to see when teams start to feel threatened by uh, Jonas passing the ball out, finding open shooters. That when the when when the defenders play a little bit more to the wings, to just see Jonas do what he's always done and do work and get easy buckets. Um, You know, Jonas had to fight for a lot of buckets, I think in the past and, and just to see him have a little bit more room to breathe. I think we could see Jonas hit another level in his game. Uh, That. Well, utilized by the Raptors. Correct.
2: Well, and also I think with a playing more minutes at the five, that means you're going to see a little more OG at the four. And that also should open it up for, Jonas even
4: more than previously. Yeah, yeah, definitely.
3: And and one of the things OG is best at from last season is he's great at cutting off the ball and finding lanes to you know jump in there and get a pass and find an easy bucket when people are paying too much attention to other guys. And again, the more space there is, the more opportunities he has to do that kind of thing. And you know, with with OG, I'm I'm just excited that he gets to spend a year in the gym working alongside one of the best guys in the league and one of the best guys in league history at sort of the arch type of player that he is. Yeah. And he should be able to learn lots. And from all accounts, both Kawhi and OG are gym rats. So them spending a year in the gym together should pay off for the Raptors
2: as well. Yeah, that's a great point. I think if you looked at the absolute perfect outcome for OG and an OB's career, it would be to follow Kawhi Leonard. So that's you know, that's his who he should model his game after completely, I think.
4: Masai's backup plan, guys. Masai's backup
2: plan. <laughs> well, a, a lot of people
3: still talk about Giannis in 2021 and whether he's coming. I don't know, but I, I do think if they can hold on to Kawhi, that makes that more interesting for Giannis. And I know Giannis has the existing relationship with Masai, and I think... If Kawhi stays, it opens up all sorts of doors for the Raptors going forward because having a superstar on the roster brings players in.
4: Uh, you stole my point, Anthony. But, yeah, I think that I, I think that makes it more of a possibility. Imagine Masai going, being able to sell Giannis and he has his relationships with him and says, hey, guess what? You also get to pair up with Kawhi Leonard and get to be a big, huge piece. Of, and, and you have another piece to work with because Giannis is another player who hasn't really ever had another uh, player better than him or on his level uh, to play alongside with. And I think a Giannis, uh, a Giannis Kawhi Leonard team would be really, really dangerous.
2: <laughs> I mean, defensively, that team would be just absurd. I Anthony's dog is obviously a big fan, so yes. <laughs> that's a good sign. Um, what do you guys think, the reports of the Toronto Raptors kind of wanting to shed salary here, what do you think the move is there?
3: If anything, I think the two most likely contracts to be moved are either Norman Powell or CJ Miles, or maybe both together if you can move them for a piece coming back. But there's so little salary cap space out there in the league at this point. And honestly, I think CJ is going to be an an important player for the team this year because he can be another guy who can step in and bring some shooting when you might need it in certain lineups. So I honestly don't know if I want them to make another move as much as I know they're, they're probably reluctant to pay the tax I'd say just just write it out for a year if that's palatable to ownership yeah I, yeah all right go ahead
2: Matt
4: no I know I was gonna say like I, I I definitely agree that that Norman Powell contract is probably the one that is the most movable again uh, you know Anthony hit it right on the head there's not much salary out there so who's gonna be taking on a Lowry or a Baca contract even though everybody wants to get out from un- or at least all the fans want to get out from under that Ibaka contract, but that Ibaka contract could be used next year for a team looking to salary dump or or do something like that. So I feel like I, I feel like Ibaka is definitely on the team this year.
2: Well, there's just not enough space to take back Ibaka. I think out there. I think yeah. if you're going to have anything, it's going to be a trade exception that somebody's going to have to one in. So if I think it's going to have to be Norman Powell, and I think you're going to have to attach an asset along with Norman Powell at this point. And I just don't know where the asset comes from. So it, it kind of gets tricky for me, but I guess that's why they pay Maasai much more than they do me.
3: Well, and it, with, there was that report out there in the San Diego Union-Tribune today that Norman Powell's mom and Kawhi Leonard's mom are good <laughs> friends. So I don't even know if I want them to trade Norman Norman Powell because he might help sell the case to keep Kawhi Leonard down the road.
2: I think my biggest, I think the trade that makes most sense, and I, I don't want it to happen, but I could see a move where it happens to be Norman Powell and DeLon Wright. Just on, DeLon Wright doesn't match up with that 2020 timeline, either does Norman Powell. So to me, I think if they do move on from a salary, and I hope they don't, obviously I hope they're willing to pay the tax, but I think if they do, I think that's the natural pairing to me
4: as somebody who also just hopes that they pay the tax. uh, I heard a hilarious caller on the fan Five Ninety suggest that, that there, that there's a trade a for Kevin Love straight up. And, and I immediately went to the internet to see if there was any credence to that, which there wasn't. So I just had a good laugh that somebody thinks that the Cavaliers will just take a and give us Kevin Love back.
3: No, I think Kevin Love would probably be gettable for the Raptors, but it would probably require them sending out Jonas Valanciunas. And I think, Love is by far a better player, but they already are so undersized in that front line, and Jonas is the one guy who can bang with bigger bodies there. You you kind of can't just send him out for a guy who doesn't replace what he does, or else you run the risk of getting exposed against a team that has a center who can really bang inside.
2: Maybe a little off topic here, but do, don't you guys worry about kind of Heading into the postseason with Jonas as the center heading against the Boston Celtics where you watched, you know, Joel Embiid was second place in defensive player of the year and he had to be hidden at times on Morris. Don't you guys kind of worry about JV next year if it comes down to an Eastern Conference final with the Celtics?
3: I don't personally because I think uh, JV can create, he can create advantages in that series First of all, because he's got, uh, they don't really want Horford banging with Jonas for 25 minutes a night either. Horford's, you know, he's in his he's into his 30s now. He's not a big guy, and that takes a physical toll on him. So Jonas creates advantages, and if you run into trouble, you can, you know, put out Serge at the five or Pascal at the five. And also, the Raptors' point of attack defense is going to be so much stronger this year with the crop of wings that they've got. And then you add in DeLon Wright and Fred and Lowry, who are all good defenders. You're just going to have less guys getting to the rim. And if you can defend well on the wings, it takes a lot of pressure off your center.
2: Yeah, I, I just worry, I guess, in that pick-and-pop game with Horford. But you make a good point if the wing defense is strong enough on the end and he's not helping off as much, he can kind of stick to Horford a little bit better.
4: And I mean, I think I th- also think about it too. Again, going back to banging up Horford. Horford, if the Ra- if the if the Raptors are taking advantage of matchups much better than they have in the past, then they will play a lot more through Jonas in those in those sort of matchup situations to hopefully get Horford into trouble, which would give the Raptors a big advantage in a series. Yeah,
3: perhaps. You, I mean, you have to play as much against a really good team, you are going to give up advantages. That's just going to happen. So you can't worry too much about whether or not you're going to give those up because every good team has ways to create them. It's about creating more advantages than what you're giving up. And if you have to let Horford go off, Horford's not a guy who's going to score 50 on you every night. If you could keep Tatum under control and you can keep Hayward under control and Kyrie under control, you can probably live with Horford having some great
2: nights. Yeah, it yeah. just it to me it was tough to watch him kind of put Embiid in the blender like that, and I just as I watched it, I thought of what he would do to poor Jonas. <laughs> I, I think it's a
3: like I think it's a reasonable question. I I just think that matchup is still pretty good for the Raptors and they have enough ways to counter it that you, you kind of live with what you get.
2: Let me ask you guys, do you think that the Raptors are the best team in the East right now?
4: I I do. Yeah, I, I, I tend to as well. I mean, they have the best, in my opinion, they have the best player in the conference and, uh, the, he and the supporting cast that they're building around him is is really good. The Celtics are close, but I, I I give the Raptors the edge as well.
3: I think a lot of attention's being paid to the question of whether or not Kawhi is healthy, but the Celtics have those kind of questions too because yeah. it's it's not a lock that uh, you know Gordon Hayward's going to come back and be completely himself. I know he's had great looking videos out there of him working in an empty gym, but that doesn't necessarily translate to on the court and you know Kyrie Irving's also a guy who's dealt with a lot of injuries in his career that the Celtics aren't a lock to get through the season healthy either and if you assume both teams are healthy which you either have to assume both teams have health issues or both teams are healthy if you assume they're both healthy I think the Raptors are better
2: I think for Hayward at least I think a lot of people are kind of calmed by the fact, I think lake breaks actually, as gruesome as his late break was, they're a little bit easier to come back from than those ACLs. If I'm the Celtics, I'm, I'm most worried about Kyrie Irving, and you know he's he had some injury problems prior to LeBron getting there in Cleveland. I think a lot of people forgot about that, even going back to Duke, where he only played nine games, and I don't think it's any guarantee, like you said, that he's going to be healthy for next season.
4: Plus, who knows? Kyrie Irving, I did you guys hear that whole thing about Kyrie Irving and the Bumblebees and wanting to be traded to Charlotte? He he might be on Charlotte for all we know. <laughs> <I did not. laughs> oh, yeah, you, know, you, you, you don't want to know. He's he he's got this whole thing with Bumblebees and that he can be in touch with Bumblebees and yeah, yeah. Kyrie Irving's a, a really, really strange dude. <laughs> I
3: the cell like clearly to me, it's a two-team conference, though, between those two teams. I, Philly is an interesting collection of talent, but I don't know that all the fe- pieces fit together yet. And is a guy who you can take advantage of. Ben Simmons, I have to see him actually shoot a jump shot.
2: Yeah, I yeah. Just, you know, he gets held to one point in a playoff game. If that's your second best player, that's worrisome if you're Philly. I think, like you said, as of right now, it's a two-person conference. The only thing Philly – or I guess not the only thing, but one thing Philly can bank on is those guys are so young that if you get a major jump in development out of one of them, I think you know that's a realistic outcome for them.
3: Yeah, certainly. I think Philly should have made a harder push for Kawhi themselves because I think he could have made a big difference for their team.
4: I think the team that loses out most in the conference by this trade is certainly Philadelphia because – a uh, little The wind has been taken out of their sails, and 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 Simmons' shot is so off that uh, I'm not, uh, you, you know, that, that jump that you were just talking about, Mike. I'm not sure that it comes this year with uh, from 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 Simmons, anyway.
2: Oh no, I don't even. I don't even think it's necessarily likely. I just think that that is kind of their route to contention, and it's at least a reasonable one to take. I think those three are kind of at least. You told me. You know, those three are the three that I wouldn't be shocked if they won the conference. If, if Indiana or someone else like that won the conference, I would be pretty amazed.
3: Yeah, Milwaukee is an outside contender to me. Yeah. Because they have a real coach now. Um, Giannis made the leap last year. And maybe if they put in a real offense that can make better use of guys like Middleton and uh, some of the other pieces on that team... Milwaukee could be pretty good, but also there's fair reasons to doubt them given how much they've struggled in recent years.
2: Yeah, to me, I think you made a good point. They're kind of the wild card of the group, where if you told me Milwaukee was a seven seed it wouldn't shock me, if you told me that they were one of the surprise teams and had 53 wins, it wouldn't shock me either. I think coaching is just such a huge part for them, and I think Bud will really give the team... An identity that they never had in the previous seasons, particularly under Kidd.
4: Yeah, def- yeah, definitely. I, I, you know, since we're just kind of talking about the Eastern Conference as well, I'm very interested to see where Detroit will end up as well. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if they get higher than the fifth seed, but I mean, they could. I could also see them not making the playoffs. Yeah. I don't, Go ahead, uh,
3: Drummond and and Blake are both players that I've kind of settled on. I don't really trust either of them. They're they're both talented enough players, but they're also both players who just like, they don't really seem to ever put it together on the court. And I've always considered Blake Griffin, the big man version of DeMar DeRozan. He's a talented player. Who's great to watch, but can you build a contender around him? I'm just not sure.
2: Yeah, those are fair points. Kind of just to get us back on track here. With the DeMar trade, I guess, leaving obviously the end of him and Casey's kind of big, you know, era ending in Toronto, do you guys think that DeMar is the greatest Raptor ever?
3: I have a controversial opinion on this one that's gotten me in a lot of trouble before. Um, My opinion... Hold on, can I guess it?
2: Can I guess it? (laughs) <laughs> sure. Kyle Lowry's a better rafter than DeMar DeRozan. Uh,
3: actually, I don't have Lowry ahead of... Uh, okay. It's not Lowry that I have ahead of him. It's, Vin, it's Vince. But my, my argument on DeMar is can you be a franchise's best player in their history if you weren't ever the best player for a single season?
2: I mean, that's a fair argument to make.
3: Because I don't think DeMar DeRozan was ever the best Player on the Raptors for a season
4: yeah yeah I actually I actually also tend to tend to agree with uh with Anthony on this one I I still have Vince ahead of it too and it's because Vince really cemented the legacy right I mean still the only Christmas game the Raptors have ever had is due to Vince Carter right Vince Carter appeared on the cover of video games Vince Carter you know excited people in a way that that the Memphis, or sorry, that the Vancouver Grizzlies didn't have, and that's why the Vancouver Grizzlies are no longer there, or at least part of the reason why. And I think, uh, you know, growing up here and just seeing those Vince Carter years were pretty amazing. And that he he made he made one or two little mistakes that maybe left in a less clean way than uh, Demar Derozan did, but I, I, I mean, Vince really cemented and is the reason why that the Raptors are still in existence.
2: Well, yeah, I think. Vince was the first success the franchise ever saw, and Demar was the first sustained success that the franchise ever saw. So they're obviously meaningful in their different ways, but if you're just talking to inject light blood into a franchise, I think it's hard to deny what Vince did.
3: And I, I think with Demar, we have to separate two things, and and it's important to separate them because it they should be different conversations. And one of them is who he was to the franchise off the court, because. You know, he did so much by keeping on saying, you know, I'm Toronto, I want to be here, I love Toronto, this is my team, this is the team I want to win with, and all of that stuff matters. That's really important for the Raptors franchise, but you also have to separate that from DeMar DeRozan, the basketball player, who was a really good player for the team, but he also kind of defined the ceiling of the Raptors while he was here, because... When they struggled, it was his flaws that tended to be at the center of the struggles. And so I don't say that to knock him, but I think you have to keep all of that in perspective. And you you have to separate the off-court DeMar who helped build this culture from the on-court player who also was part of the reason they, they needed a trade for a bigger star.
2: Yeah, I think those are all fair points, I think. And talk about someone what he did as a role model for the franchise, and then also recognize that he had flaws that really limited him in specific ways, and really limited the team in specific ways. That, I mean, to be frank, kept a, the Raptors from ever making the finals. I think that you can blame it on LeBron all you want. At some level, you have to kind of look at your team and look at the problems that they had. And.
3: Uh, And I really don't want to just, you know, be sitting here being negative about DeMar. But the fact that the Raptors were always better with him off the court in the playoffs, and in recent years significantly better with him off the court, it it was part of why the trade was made. In that Cavaliers series, they had a plus 17 net rating when he was, off the court, at a minus 24 net rating when he was on the court. They won the minutes he didn't play, and they got swept.
2: Yeah, I, I mean, and that Game 3 performance, I think, is something that, you know, it kind of sucks at such a great career. That's kind of the market, the kind of taste in your mouth as he leaves. But, you know, all that stuff matters, and that's significant, which, obviously, Vince had his own sour taste when he left, which is even worse than Demars, but, you know, that doesn't change what happened.
4: Yeah. Tamar DeRozan was a fantastic off-the-court presence and has done so much for Toronto and I think that you know that the the, vib- the vibrations of his commitment to Toronto have actually helped out the franchise quite a bit it's again as you guys have been talking about that on-court performance just always was not there and and was not going to bring us to the next level and uh, yeah it's it, it, it's really tough to see him go but I I mean I hope Toronto fans get a taste of Kawhi Leonard at full strength in a Raptor uniform. That uh, the, the the sadness or the sourness that some people feel will uh, will go away.
2: Uh, one last thing, guys, kind of to wrap us up here. What do you think? I guess is the final chance of Demar Derozan not Demar DeRose, Kawhi Leonard remaining a Raptor past this season. Uh, Anthony, we'll start with you.
3: I probably would have put it as, like, 40% him staying, and I I think that's where I'm at right now. There's a lot of reports out there that he still just wants to go to L.A., but there's also some things that are starting to come out. That San Diego uh, Tribune piece today that talked about somebody close to him saying they think he's going to fall in love with the city, and then, you know, Masai's really good at this, and a lot of players come to Toronto and they just love the city. And the other part of it is, I'm not sold that LA is going to look that attractive come next summer. So I I'd say there's about a 40% chance of him staying. And if he stays healthy enough and the Raptors start moving towards 60 wins, that goes up North of 50%. Yeah,
4: I, I actually tend to agree. I have a, uh, I knew you were going to ask the question, Mike. I, I wrote, I had myself down here at 30%, but I could really see that ticking up. Um, You know, the Lakers are in an interesting position because they're, they have LeBron, yes, but not much around him, and are in a much tougher conference. So, where do they end up, and how attractive do they really look? And uh, you know, it, it's really all on Masai's back, um, and maybe a little bit of Drake's back too. Let's put him in there as well. Uh, you know, you, you know, can uh, can they create an environment that Kawhi will love, right? Because. I think I, I think Kawhi just wants to be you know comfortable and and, and 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 you know there's a lot of things that Toronto can offer. It's such a it's such a bigger city quote unquote and market than than San Antonio. I just think he needs to have his eyes open to it and uh, you know he can be sold for an entire year on look Kawhi you are the best player in this conference we can we can dominate year after year with you here and uh, and, and you know we have an easier road to another finals. And, uh, you know, there's lots of reports out there that why doesn't like the cold, but he's all about basketball. So if he's all about basketball, then hopefully he'll get over the cold and, uh, maybe some uh, sponsorship. But, um, I, I, I would say right now, 30%, but, uh, I'm hoping, uh, that as he starts to get sold over the city, that it goes, it goes North of 60 per, or 50% as well.
2: I guess, call me the pessimist. I, I'm a little bit lower than you guys. I'm more in the kind of 15 to 20% range. But to be frank, I was even lower when the first trade first was made. So I'm growing every day, and perhaps maybe in the wrong direction. But you know, chances increasing every day, and more and more reports come out positively. So you never know.
4: He was smiling in that picture with uh, uh, Bobby Webster and Messiah Ujiri as well. So there's the, there's another positive.
2: I had, I think that's a good note to end it, guys. Thank you for
3: coming
2: on. <laughs> <laughs> it was a pleasure
3: just one other point I want to make on that last bit though about him staying is from the moment he got to San Antonio and became a big player, he was, they started marketing him right away as the next Tim Duncan, the guy who would follow in the mold of Tim and the Admiral. And he had 30 years of this San Antonio history weighing on him from pretty much the second year he was there. And I think that's a weight, we don't recognize that players carry sometimes he's going to get to toronto and by the time we get to christmas he might be in the conversation where people are saying is he the best player ever to wear a raptors jersey he writes his legacy here and i actually think that might end up helping make the sales pitch a lot too
2: okay that's an even more positive note to end that.